Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Toyota Brookhaven services all makes and models. That could be why we were voted best service department the past two years. Come see why. Exit 40 Brookhaven or online at toyotabrookhaven.com. Great service, great savings. At Toyota Brookhaven, we deliver. What is up on a Wednesday? I am Brian Scott Rippey, my co-conspirator, as always, is Michael Borky. We appreciate you hanging out with us on, I think it's April the 8th. It doesn't really matter. It's the same as yesterday and probably the same as tomorrow edition of the Rubble Report podcast. But we have uh, we got some stuff to get to today. We uh, Borky and I, as we've been holding in the chamber for a while, just going to throw out the favorite sports venues we've been to. If you want to chime in on that for Mailbag Friday, feel free. Nobody's going to stop you. We've got that. Uh, the MLB, this is like a day and a half old story at this point, but Monday night the MLB kind of, I don't know if they intentionally leaked it out or is unintentional, but ESPN baseball reporter Jeff Passan got a hold of a story that the MLB is trying to restart in May. Probably a little bit ambitious, but we'll get to that. Uh, there's some awful uniforms going around in the NFL. Uh, what is the other thing I, we were just talking about that I forgot already? But anyway, we got stuff to get uh, to. Mike Gundy. Yeah, Mike Gundy making a lot of people mad and pro- probably justifiably so. There was actually an interesting part of this that I'll get to in a minute. So I saw a CBS thing where they initially reported that he referred to it as the Chinese virus, which is very like polarizing among circles. I'm not going to get like political with it. But then there was a correction made and the CBS article was edited and that part was taken out. Did you see that? Yeah. Uh, Did that happen or not? Like, I don't understand. I don't know, because I've got the uh, the ESPN one up right now, and they don't make uh, reference to it. But Pete Thamel wrote a column, and I, I really like Pete Thamel. I think he's a good writer, and I agree with his premise, but he wrote a column that it was titled Mike Gundy's tone-deaf coronavirus rant shows why he won't get a job outside of Oklahoma State. And I did read it, so I'm not just headline grabbing. And uh, he mentions that he did call it the China virus and how racist and bigoted that is. And it, whether or not you agree with that, um, you know, that that's up to you. But uh, the point is, that's at least one place where it says that he did that. But no, it's not in the ESPN story. It's not in... The, it is in CBS the Associated Press. Okay, so then he did say it. Probably. Um, I mean, that's pretty favorable. Anyway, we uh, I guess we I mean, we don't have any other better place to start. We can start there. So, uh, but we probably did a pretty poor job setting the table uh, for the story. So, Mike Gundy right. yesterday, Oklahoma State football coach, uh, mullet extraordinaire. Honestly, if you if you are. If you were trying to find, and I know Oklahoma, whether you consider Oklahoma the South or not, if the stereotypical like Southern macho football coach, like this guy fits the 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 stereotype to a T. I guess he was on a conference call or something yesterday, uh, but he basically, obviously, he was asked about the coronavirus and all of that, and pretty much the exact same questions that all other coaches are getting asked this time of year is when do you see football coming back? When do you see you know your kids coming back to campus? And not shockingly, these football coaches who are not medical experts don't know either. But guess what? They're football coaches who are creatures of habit and want their kids back on campus as soon as humanly possible. So, like, it's almost like, 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 because we had one with Kiffin a couple weeks ago and he kind of shied away from, he kept, you know, he threw out the lines. I'm not a medical expert. I don't know. Blah, blah, blah. Basically, when you're pitching these football coaches, these questions, it's basically like, 
hey, man, do you want to balk and give me the company line or do you want to get in trouble? Is basically what, what, what you're letting them choose between. Yeah, and Mike but- Gundy took the path less traveled because right. he said, I want these kids. We're aiming to get these kids back on May 1st. Hell, most of these kids are 18, 19, 20 years old. They can fight off the virus. You know, we'll basically put old people out of the facility. Am I butchering his comments? Like, I read the story yesterday. Yeah, no, he, and yeah. he also said something like, here, I, I've actually, uh, I was just putting it in the show notes um, that nobody reads anyway, so I waste my time every day doing them. Um, he said... If that's true, talking about how they're healthy and they can fight it, uh, he said 18, 19, 20, 21, 22-year-olds that are healthy, the so-called medical people saying the herd of healthy people that have the antibodies maybe built up can fight this, we need to go back to work. If that's true, then we sequester them and continue because we need to run money through the state of Oklahoma. Yikes. Yeah, and it's like, but he's, honestly, to God, he's saying what most of these dudes are thinking, is he not? He is, but man, you cannot say something like, I need an 18-year-old kid to come here to work for free so everybody else around here can make money. Like, Oh, yeah, is- no, no, no. He, he's, he, he, <laughs> the comments were, were dumb and off-putting, but like, like, let's be honest, he is saying what most of these dudes are thinking, right, wrong, or indifferent. Like, that's what I gathered from it. It's like, oh, he actually just chose to go there. Yeah, and, it, I mean, he started bringing up the One American News Network and say, like, he took it way too far. It, but here's the thing, and, and the most important thing in all of this, like, what Dabo Sweeney said, and he has since, like, dug his hole pretty deep with going on vacation and then talking about going on vacation and stuff, but what he said I don't think was was dumb. It was probably overly optimistic and goofy because he's a goofy guy and like talked about storming Normandy and stuff because that's definitely the same thing as a virus. But at least it was just rooted in a sense of optimism and hope that we're going to get to play this year. Like there was nothing insensitive about what he said. There was nothing like even you have these sports media people that just so bad want to call everything stupid because they want to pretend that they're smarter than you. Uh, But what Dabo said was not stupid. It was optimistic. It was hopeful. It was goofy. But it wasn't dumb. Talking about how One American News Network is the only place that just reports facts, that's just plain dumb. Because that's not true. He has a quote uh, later on at the bottom of this Associated Press story that's been aggregated to some, I think I'm on some like Pennsylvania website. Uh, Wild times out here on the internet. But I am seeing a total number of cases. But what I'm not seeing is how many how many number of those cases are na- that are now back to normal life, Gundy said. It's really interesting to me to see the mainstream media. Well, that's a, that's a buzzword for you're about to get real conspiracy here. Sadly enough, just how negative everybody can be. Let's just report the news. Let's start putting some things in there that are positive because I know there's positive out there. This is where I would remind you it's not the media's job to report uh, positive or negative things. It's their job, and honestly, they we news-wise, we tend to do a bad job of this now. Uh, just report what's out there and give people the facts and let them decide because that doesn't drive ratings. But uh, Gundy just seems frustrated like everyone else is. Like, I don't feel like in some ways I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth for because I, I, do, I don't see why people shit on uh, people for optimism. But also, don't blame the media that things aren't optimistic. It's a global pandemic. What do you want to, like, what do you, what do you want said? But, yeah. 
Yeah, it's, he, man, that's such he, a good point. He's just mad, but he's just he's just he's upset and he has cabin fever like the rest of us. And the problem is, is he's probably one of the most powerful guys in Oklahoma. Definitely one of the most wealthy guys in Oklahoma. And he said it in front of uh, reporters' virtual microphones, and now it is getting blown up everywhere. He should know better. I'm not saying like it's okay, but like he's really just frustrated like everyone else. And then. He, you know, the comments are definitely off-putting, but I don't think he meant them maliciously. Like, hey, I want to make a bunch of money off the backs of free eighteen-year-old kids, type of thing. I think he's just pissed off and wants life to go back to normal, like everyone else. But that's not going to happen, whether you're optimistic or pessimistic. That and there is, even though I think you and I both agree, and probably most people listening agree that the system is uh, the people that that risk the most in college football benefit the least. And, and it's not, it's not a good system. However, uh, the system does have a ton of people that are dependent on it. We've talked about it a lot on this show, on the radio show, everywhere that I can talk about it. Sports are not just for our entertainment. Like that's, what's getting lost in this baseball deal. I've seen a, a few uh, media people. I mean, even some local ones that are like, do you just need to be entertained that much? Well, that's not really the point. It's not that we need it for entertainment. It's that people need it to pay their bills, myself included. So there's more at stake here for everybody involved in Major League Baseball to get back because if they don't play, people's livelihoods are at stake. And I, I read a story this morning, and, and I'm putting it in the show, even though it, it may not even get noticed. C.J. McCollum said that at least a third of the NBA lives paycheck to paycheck. If they don't get money, some of these guys are screwed. And yes, look, it's mostly because of financial irresponsibility. But still, like there is a lot at stake here. And it's not just for our entertainment. Same thing with college football in Oklahoma State and Mike Gundy. Like Just yes, to point love- out there real quick, that's also Lehigh grad and journalism major C.J. McCollum. Yeah, very smart guy. Like I, I really like him. I, I hope he does well and wins a championship. His podcast is really interesting, but he like that's a guy that is both smart and also knows like how media should work and does work. Like I said, journalism major is like genuinely interested in the media business. And like I've heard him talk about it on multiple occasions. Like he's not just some random schmuck throwing stuff out there like that. No, that that's a dude that speaks from. I mean, not you know, obviously intimate knowledge, but um, it's the same thing with Oklahoma State and Mike Gundy. Yes. College sports entertains us. It does. I mean, that's why we have jobs. It's because people care so much about it, and it, it becomes part of their life that they want to read more and hear more and all that good stuff. But as Mike Gundy tried to say, just failed doing so, there are people that are financially tied to the existence of Oklahoma State football. And without it, they lose their means. They lose their ability to pay their bills. And so that's what he was trying to say. He just failed completely in his effort. And that's what I think is getting lost in all of this discourse where, oh, this is a terrible idea and players would never leave their families in Major League Baseball stupid and it's tone deaf and all these words that everybody's throwing out there. For some reason, they don't quite get that there is so much at stake, not from an entertainment perspective, from a financial uh, like welfare perspective. And like nobody mentions that. And Mike Gundy tried he just is a football coach, and he failed doing it. And that's the next layer to this. I, I know I'm talking a lot, and you'll have to respond to like seven different things I said. But football coaches aren't going to be smart people. They're football coaches. It's what they are. 
Mike, like, do you honestly expect Mike Gundy, the the guy with the mullet, to have some profound take on a global pandemic that is causing nobody to have the answer to? Like, why are you surprised guy, Mike uh, Gundy the, had an uneducated <laughs> take about a virus? He's a football. The guy coach. who made uh, the guy who made uh, a series of fart noises in a press conference when asked about Twitter. With his mouth. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen that press conference. <laughs> I can't believe that guy didn't have a profound take about a global pandemic. Like, give me a break. Yeah, he's getting ripped apart today. But, like, Pete Thamel's calling about how this is why he'll never get a job again. But maybe Google some other major college football coaches and things that have happened in their past. And tell me well, that also, what Gundy said is any worse. That's also a terrible example because Mike Gundy has leveraged – uh, his way to like three different raises by being given the illusion he's very close to taking other jobs and to take other jobs like I'm thinking Tennessee was one a couple years ago if I'm not mistaken there's been a couple since uh, you have to have those jobs offered to you but he's leveraged them to get raises so probably not the best example to make there but yeah honestly going back to his last pre- he's had some uh, notable press conferences over the years the I'm a man I'm 40 but maybe the most underrated one is when he gets asked about social media, and then he says, I could give a rat's ass about Twitter, and then looks the reporter straight in the eyes and just goes, <laughs> and makes a fart noise. I mean, that's pretty, I don't, if that's not shutting some nerd down with a bad question, I don't know what better way there is to do it. But, yeah, I, uh, yeah, just, yeah, I mean, look, this, this virus and this whole global pandemic is creating PR nightmares for a lot of schools, and it's interesting to watch how it plays out. I mean, you even see it at Mississippi State, where that Leach tweet, we'll get to that later on. We've already talked about it. We probably won't cover it a ton again, but the Leach news tweet, like in normal times with a bunch of stuff going on in the world, that probably makes a third of the ripple that it currently made. Uh, not, not, we'll get to this later. It was the second layer of this. State made it worse by putting out a statement a week later, essentially, uh, about it. But like, this is just creating PR disasters for schools because coaches are asked about it and they step on that. They trip over their own feet uh, in Gundy's case and a couple others when talking about it. And then if you just have some other off the field thing, it's amplified because nothing else is going on. This is a PR nightmare for paranoid college uh, media relations departments. Probably just not the greatest thing going on. Yeah, definitely not. And I, I'm still, I mean, we talked about it yesterday, but I, I don't think we have a whole lot of crossover audience. Um, I don't know what Mississippi State was doing yesterday, uh, releasing that statement. If you're going to do something like that, you have to do it right away. You have to make sure that your news cycle lasts one time. That's it. Just once. And now, for some reason, they waited, de- I mean, almost a week later. The tweet was what, Wednesday? And uh, Leach apologized, I think, Thursday, maybe. Uh, You have to do everything else Thursday. You have to release your statement, do everything on that day, because four days were between Leach's apology and then Mississippi State's statement. And guess what happens in four days in media? A whole bunch of stuff. The news cycle changes. And so instead of it being a one-off, wow, uh, it, and I, not from my perspective, it's more layered than what everybody said it was. But wow, Mike Leach is an idiot, uh, terrible tweet, yada, yada, yada. It's on Undisputed. And Shannon Sharp, who Google Shannon Sharp, by the way, uh, says Mike Leach needs to get fired for that tweet and all that crap. That all happens. And then you created it again. You let four days go by. You release a statement talking about listening sessions and all that stuff. And guess what? 
ESPN, CBS, even AL.com, the AP, everywhere gets to rehash that story and get more clicks off of it, and you created another negative news cycle about yourself. I don't know what Mississippi State and their communications people were thinking by doing that, by waiting that long, because it just made everything worse for you. Yeah, it did. There's really no reason to readdress it like six, seven days after the fact. Like I, it, you're just dragging it out because a week in this, like even in a, even in this weird time you're in where there's not a whole lot of sports news going on, six, seven days is like it's three an weeks, eternity really, in terms of the news cycle. So really, no reason to bring that one back up. That was an interesting move to say the least by state, but. Yeah, just it's creating PR disasters. People are getting stir crazy. They want their lives to go back to normal, as does everyone else. But some, some are handling it uh, better than others are. I'll take a break, real quick, to my new podcast brought to you by LB's University Avenue, across from Kroger. Go see Greg if you're in Oxford, around Oxford. Uh, maybe you want to do some grilling this Easter weekend. I know it's going to be a little bit different Easter weekend for a lot of folks. Uh, around here but if you want to do some grilling outside social distancing greg can hook you up they've got steak custom cuts all kinds of uh uh i've lost my train i thought they're daily specials and lane train special keith carter special 10 or eight and six ounce bacon wrap fillets he's got some ready-made uh like to-go dishes for you if you want to take something home and feed your family without having to go through the house so cooking stuff meatloaf's really good all kinds of sausages he's got grill packs he can hook you up. No better time to support local businesses. You can get in and out quickly. Go see him, University Avenue, across from Kroger. Uh, the second thing we probably need to get to today is just the MLB uh, throwing a plan out there. Uh, Jeff Passan had a story late Monday night about the MLB having a um, a plan to play games at ten spring training faci- facilities. And I assume the Arizona Diamondbacks actual stadium too, Chase Field in Arizona, play all of their games there. Uh, possibility, a lot of possibilities thrown out in this story, seven inning double headers, whatever, get as close to the 162 game threshold as possible. And basically have that start up uh, basically mid to late May after you have some exhibitions and spring training type things. And basically the whole gist of the story is, is that MLB would be under this plan, would be coming back far earlier than anyone thought uh, possible. This, of course, was met with skepticism and people saying tone deaf and all the normal stuff you would expect. I don't necessarily see how they're going to pull this off. I don't know how you I don't know how you have all of these major league players basically live in isolation and live in a bubble uh, for four months without their families, without really seeing a ton of their teammates, because if you think about it, there would likely be no dressing in the clubhouse like you would get dressed in your hotel room uh take i guess individual cars i don't know how you would shuttle them to the stadium like it would even be different in terms of just being with your teammates but basically live in isolation for four months and play these games but as i mentioned yesterday on the radio people keep acting like this is a normal like they're weighing this idea as if it is a somewhat normal set of circumstances to where is playing these games over four months in may with no fans and just only TV revenue and all that, of course, is not ideal. But when the option, the other option is not have a season, it's not going to shock me if they try to pull crazy shit like this off is basically what I'm saying. Yeah. And I guess you could, in theory, um, test everybody, uh, all the stakeholders involved, 
and then they could like be in the locker room together and stuff because if they're all negative they can't transmit it but that means your bus driver your your people that are feeding them your trainers everybody has to get tested and then that gets dicey um it's not a good idea i don't think it's not a good idea i think most people would agree that it's not a good idea. There are a lot of logistical issues with that idea in the prospect of pulling these guys away from normalcy for four months or however long it takes until you can return to some normalcy. And it may not take that long. That's also getting lost in this. We don't know that the entire season will have to be played this way. It very, it very It's very possible that it, that it would have to be. But we don't know that for sure. Nobody does. Nobody has any idea. And that's the biggest issue is nobody has a clue. And so when you have an idea like this, you have to do it in the, the eyes of we don't know what the future is, but if we can pull this off now, it's better than not doing it at all. And maybe it is tone deaf. Maybe it would bother some people. I'm sure it would. But it's not, like I said before, they're coming up with an idea like this not because we just need to be entertained or, or whatever, it's because there are people, players included, that you mentioned, oh, you're not going to pull them away from their young families for that long. Well, here's the thing. They need money to take care of that young family. And if the options are no season or season like this, these players are going to do, in my estimate, because I'm in their position. I have a young family. I have a wife who we are kind of newly married and a five-month-old child, I would not want to leave them for four months. That would be brutal. I I mean, it would be hard every day. I I couldn't imagine doing it. But if the option was leave them for four months and get paid or stay at home for four months and be with my family and not make any money and we worry about where our next meal's coming from, I'm leaving. It would be hard. It would be miserable. But if it means financially taking care of the two people that I love in this world, then, yeah, I'm doing it. And it's tough. It's hard. It doesn't make sense in some capacity. It's extremely ambitious. Doing it in May seems even more ambitious. If they would have said June, then it probably would have been better received even. But if you're telling me that the players won't go for it, maybe the big time, like, the, the guys that are making $20, $30 million a year, sure, yeah, they're probably like, you know what, I'm not doing it. But the guy that's making league minimum, the relief pitcher that's making five hundred k and he's got a wife and two young children, he's playing, I promise you. And it's not, again, Major League Baseball's incentive is not because, well, we just got to entertain the people. It's, well, if we don't do this, we're sunk. And our, our players are sunk. Financially, we are screwed if we do not find something to do. So even if it's extreme, even if it doesn't make sense to most people, and even if blue checkmark columnists will call it tone deaf over and over and over again, people will still watch, and we will be able to survive this strange year and hopefully get back to normal next year. It's not about entertainment. It's about finances and not sinking themselves. The other element of this is one the MLB is the, probably the league with the benefit of the most time other than football but if you're talking spring or summer sports they have the most time to kind of wait this out and figure it out because they can shorten their season realistically I mean I, they wouldn't like to play an 81 game season or 82 game season but realistically they could do something like that so they have time 
Yeah, I saw a number yesterday or two days ago that said uh, after 100 games last year, all but one of the playoff spots were already decided. Like there was only one change uh, of teams that made the playoffs last year. They could get down. I couldn't see them playing much less than 80, 81, somewhere in that range, but they could do it. They'd probably prefer to play 100 to 120. But the other element of this that was reported also by ESPN on Monday night that really I don't understand why no one actually linked the two. Baxter Holmes, an NBA writer for ESPN, wrote a story that says sources tell ESPN that the NFL and the excuse me, NBA and the NBA Players Association are collaborating in assessing rapid response, testing devices that could in theory yield accurate results in minutes, a process that represents a critical first step in presentially resum- resuming play. And they're basically diabetes-like blood tests that would basically would, would test for the coronavirus and give you a result in, ba- in 13 to 15 minutes, which is another key step of this because you've got to find a way to identify whether someone has the virus or someone doesn't have the virus and quarantine them and isolate them instead of just somehow figuring it out one day after a test after a couple of days and then shutting the entire league down because they've been around someone in the 24 or 48, whatever hour period it takes to get results back. So that's another key step in this that makes this seem a little more realistic than it might on the surface. I don't know where the Major League Baseball is in that, but I imagine if the NBA ends up getting their hands on a testing device or a testing method that can yield results in minutes. Major League Baseball is going to find a way to do that too. But yeah, this is all money driven. There's too much money and people don't like, particularly that doesn't translate well to social media in terms of uh, the reception of it. But there's a lot of money at stake here. There's a lot of money on the line, both individually for teams, for the entire league, for television providers. Like there's just too much money left on the table for them not to exhaust every possible option baseball is also unique in a way to where it's very incredibly difficult to make it financially stable as a baseball player like if you're a top pick you i mean if you're a top pick you get a gigantic payday at the top in terms of a signing bonus but a lot of guys don't get that and a lot of guys aren't necessarily making life-changing money until you get three four years of service time in the mlb because you're making you know thousands hundreds of thousands as opposed to millions of dollars which is a nice living but you can't go a year or, or an extended period of time without having that. So I think MLB is probably more incentivized to do this maybe than any other league. It also lends itself better to social distancing than any other sport. Like you're, the players are spread out. You have nine guys spread out across the field. You're never really touching one another, uh, play at the plate, something like that. But it's also a sport that that kind of, I guess, lends itself well to the whole six feet apart social distancing thing as opposed to basketball where you're kind of just down there and touching each other and kind of like banging around in the post or going up for rebounds or defending and all of that every single possession. So, yeah, I don't yeah, necessarily... This antibody test is a big deal. Uh, I saw, what was it, yesterday where uh, the governor of New York uh, announced that um, they've developed that antibody test. And that would be, it would be huge. Testing is seemingly the thing that will get us the the fastest back to normal is once we have widespread testing and and that will help too because i guess as i understand it based on what i've read if you've gotten it um you can't get this exact strand again and there's a working theory from you know all the uh the medical people as mike gundy wants to call it um that this has been widespread in our country for a lot longer than we realize. And its infection rate is just really low, which would be good 
And if you can test everybody with this antibody test to find that, hey, a lot of people have actually already had it and they can't get it again, the sooner we can get back to normal. Now, that's a lot of projection and what ifs, but the fact that that test is now available and they're soon going to mass produce it is a really big step forward. Yeah, definitely necessary. And then on just the idea of MLB coming back would is, would be fascinating, playing these games. Uh, definitely not ideal. I mean, you're playing in 100-degree weather in Arizona in the summer. I don't know how you'd pull off the double the doubleheader thing. But, I mean, with, in theory, on an average night in Major League Baseball where you have a full slate of games, you need 15 stadiums with all 30 teams playing. And you – or a couple of facility shorts, I guess, doubleheaders in some degree are necessary towards, I guess, maybe not necessarily two teams playing two games in a day, but just one game uh, with two teams and then another game with two different teams after that. I don't know how logistically they're going to do it, but uh, I think the fact that they're throwing these ideas out there shows just how, one, I mean, desperate and serious they are about trying to figure out something uh, to get uh, some sort of season played. I think the NBA, while a little more cautious, feels the same way, but whoever is the first league to come back is going to face significant backlash because there's going to be people that saying it's too soon, tone deaf, no matter what, flying in the face of public health. Like no, whoever's the first league to come back is going to take some sort of PR hit. Uh, just it's just kind of the way that these things work. I'm just interested to see who it be who it is. I'd always put my money on hockey, but now it seems like MLB might be the most eager to come back. And hockey's got a plan to go to Fargo, North Dakota, and play games up there. I think they've got uh, three facilities that they could use. And since it's hockey, you don't have to worry about weather. So, you, I mean, you could just run back-to-back-to-back games. And I think that at least in Fargo, there's three that they could use. And I'm sure they could go to some surrounding areas and, and find more uh, and do it that way. But it, I think the PR hit that they would take, I think, would be almost exclusively like Twitter-based. And whoever comes back first will the, – the decision to do it because of finances, I think, will be proven uh, to be the right one for them if that's their goal because we are so thirsty for it right now that it would be watched in mass. And so, they, yeah, Twitter and, and those kind of people would call it tone deaf and all of those things, but it would work. Yeah, so at least you're kind of seeing that blueprints outlined of I don't think things are getting back to normal like I mean like do I think they'll be end up being playing baseball in mid-May? I mean, I still kind of doubt it, but at least you're kind of seeing the blueprints of how teams are getting ideas to make some sort of return this summer as we mentioned on Monday's podcast which is available wherever you get this podcast. You had the Trump meeting with all of the major sports league commissioners about how he wants things back to normal with fans in August, whether that holds up or is possible or not. I don't know, but you're just kind of at least seeing kind of glimmers of what things could be like if and when things return to some semblance of normalcy. And that MLB story seemed to be the first kind of like concrete bombshell uh, with regards to how one league might try to do it. So anyway, that was kind of interesting Uh, elsewhere. Really not a whole lot of sports news. There's been some really terrible uniforms thrown around in the NFL. The Bucks changed uniforms again, which basically appear to be back to their old ones in the Mike Allstott mid-2000s days. And then the Atlanta Falcons also got new uniforms, which I don't really understand. They had good uniforms in the first place, especially their throwback uniforms. And the, uh, I guess you have to see them for yourselves, but if you're on the internet in any capacity, just go to Atlanta Falcons' website or their Twitter or whatever uh, – 
I don't really get these. I don't think they're all awful. I don't. Not a big fan of the red one with black pants. But uh, I guess starting with, I would say the Bucks are better just because they look familiar and something like they've done before. I didn't understand the Falcons need to change uniforms, but I guess here we are. Yeah, you just you got to sell more, I guess. Once people buy their one, and <laughs> you need to find a way to get them to buy more, and so you change them every few years with little tweaks just to make people feel like they need to, but. I think the white's fine. The ATL doesn't fit to me. I think that's out of place. Uh, the white's fine. The black's fine. The throwback black for the Falcons is really good. The gradient red to black is the most XFL, like, longest yard. Just That's Windows 1997 design software garbage right there. I cannot believe an NFL team is going to wear that on the field in a game. I'm mind-blown by it. Well, the big ATL in the center of the jersey doesn't really make sense. You don't really need it. Like, it would be a great jersey if you just took that out and put the little tiny NFL shield like a bunch of teams have there in the middle. But, like, they already had good uniforms, particularly those black throwbacks. Why not just make a classic-looking red one to pair with the black helmet and then just be done with it? I don't understand it, but I'm not in charge of NFL marketing or uniforms or anything like that. So I guess what the hell do I know? But I love the spin that they put on it, though. They... Like, if you read, like, why they made their changes, they increased their helmet logo by 30%, and their reason was, we wanted our helmet to match our city. So we uh, put chrome on the logo and the face mask and grew grew the logo, just like Atlanta's been growing since we've been here, some bullshit like that. The uh, helmet looks pretty sweet. I like the Falcons logo that's bigger with the gray face mask. I just don't understand the gigantic logo that says ATL in the middle of the uniform. It just that's doesn't the part. fit. Yeah, I don't, I don't get that. The white uniform they have with the red pants actually looks pretty solid, but the numbers look really stupid. I just very strange, avoidable details of this uniform just look very, very bad. But yeah. whatever. And the Bucks did great. I know it's basically their old jerseys, but the, I mean, simple is better with football jerseys. The simpler it is, the better it is. Simple numbers, simple colors, simple design, looks really clean and really good. It's not that hard. They also have terrible colors. I don't under, The pewter color thing is, is yeah. I, I'm not a big fan of it, but I guess they're making the best of it. I would just go back to those creamsicle orange and, and roll with that, but I guess that, uh, that is not in the cards. It'd be funny to see Brady playing in a bright orange uniform. <laughs> uh, I haven't seen this yet this morning, but Brady apparently did an interview with Howard Stern. Yeah, I didn't get to listen to it because I, I can't afford satellite radio. But um, the quotes coming out of it uh, are fantastic. I mean, he talked about uh, how he and his wife uh, a few years ago had had marital struggles because he was only focused on football and not at home. And, I mean, just opened up about that and opened up about uh, how he smoked weed in high school and, and how he disappointed his dad so he didn't do it anymore and, and stuff like that. I mean— it's really good. And my favorite quote, which uh, I put in the notes today, uh, where he basically just kind of uh, shuts down all of First Take's content for the next, I don't know, 12 months. Uh, when he, he was asked about if he's mad that Bill Belichick gets all the credit, he said, quote, I think it's a shitty argument. I can't do his job. He can't do mine. Can I be successful without him? The same level of success? I don't believe I would have been. But I feel the same, vice versa. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the rational argument that most people have, but you got to pick a side. But, like, that just shows that he's aware of that 
narrative is out there and thinks it's dumb just like any other rational person that's not trying to turn heads with the take. But, yeah, that is interesting and candid. I didn't know Brady was a stoner in high school. I would not have pegged him for He uh, tried it and, and didn't, like, do it a lot because he disappointed his dad, so he stopped doing it. Oh, uh, I was about to say, I just didn't picture Brady's the kid that skipped study hall to go take a huff out of an apple. Um, but, yeah, that's interesting. I uh, I guess I'll, we'll save this for Mailback Friday because I'm going to find a way to go listen to this thing. I just I saw it pop up today right before we started recording, and I didn't have enough uh, grasp of – what the interview was, what it covered to throw it in the show for today. But we'll have that for Mailback Friday. I'm sure that is a, that is a fascinating, uh, fascinating platform for him to do that on. I think, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot going on the last couple of days. I don't think I missed anything. Uh, you had that anonymous quote yesterday that we talked about for the college football fix. Uh, set the table for that again. Where exactly did that come from? Uh, it was an article about um, faking injuries and what needs to be done to stop it. Yeah, or was it the was it the I thought it was the deception trickery thing. Right, but it, that's where the the quote came from. Is it was an anonymous coach that was asked about players faking injuries, and then he went into some rant about that's uh, trick them and and you know what them. And it all needs to go away. And like, you shouldn't feel good winning that way. And you should feel better winning by lining up and being more physical than your opponent. And playing and winning that way isn't noble or whatever. Yeah, I. I mean, the the faking of the injury thing to stop tempo is both a problem of defensive coaches thinking the tempo thing's a bit unfair. And also, like, don't fake injuries. That just seems dumb. I just don't know how you would police that. Like, maybe if you have an injury, you have to stay off the field for the remainder of the possession. You can't ever put the refs in a judgment situation to where they have to decide whether an injury is legitimate or fake or not. Because, like, how the hell can you tell some kid that's cramping, hey, you're not really cramping, like, get up type of thing. But I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it is a problem. You see it in college football. You really don't see it in professional football. Uh, I don't know how you'd police it other than basically having a referee – or, or having a an incentive-based thing to where, like, if you're injured, you have to stay off the field until there's another change of possession or something like that. I would see that as the only way to combat that. As far as the trickery and deception in other parts of football, uh, this guy just kind of sounds like a whiny ass. Like, I don't understand that. If you're smarter and outsmart your opponents, like, good on you. You're you're smarter. Like, I don't I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, and, and you should be prepared for that. But I mean, this is the same coach that said that uh, hurry up and no huddle and spread offenses are bad for player safety and then hired Lane Kiffin to run that exact offense. So you're assuming that Saban said it? That's who I think said it. Hey, Dad brought it up, and once I did some homework into it, I didn't understand David Shaw's past history with this. I guess he could have said it. Uh, Harbaugh does kind of whine like that. There's a three or four candidates, but you could narrow it down to, <coughs> excuse me, I would say like five guys. That probably, probably said this. Who wrote the story? That's also another way to figure it out. Uh, let me find out for you. Um, I know there there was an all right in there. Um, that was my final like. Okay, this is definitely Nick Saban. Give me one second. I'll tell you who wrote it. Um, I have to. Because usually you can tell like. 
I don't know who Saban goes to. I don't think he necessarily has to go anyone to the media when he wants a message out. But there's a handful of reporters and coaches that you can kind of link up through work they've done over the years as to how, like, like who actually reached out to who and who, like, where this actually came from. Alex Scarborough. I, it was Nick Saban. Yeah, that's probably Nick Saban. Dude's in, based in the South, does a lot of Alabama stuff. I'm going to say that it's probably probably pretty safe <laughs> to assume that that's Nick Saban. I actually sat next to him at the Ole Miss-Alabama game this year. So, yeah. Good at what he does. That. I enjoy his work, but that was Nick Saban. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, uh, do we miss anything today? Kind of a light show today, but just not not a ton going on uh, right now. I uh, this, this quarantine thing uh, kind of stinks. Uh, this is supposed to be Masters Week, and it is not. But luckily, if odd things go well and go according to plan, you're going to have two Masters in a matter of, what, like four or five months? I mean, you go November to April, that's December, January, February, March. Yeah, basically five, six months, uh, which is not a bad consolation. But, yeah, pretty much just pretty boring, uh, pretty boring times in general right now. Uh, hopefully, we're approaching, like, the halfway point or some sort of the back end. I'm literally just hoping there i don't yeah, know i did see that they're expecting the the peak has been moved up to i think the 12th if i remember correctly so the uh the peak is coming soon if we stay on this path and uh the charts have been um shrunken if that's the way to put it um again so the the social distancing and all that stuff apparently is working because uh, all the models and everything even though the models were based on uh, assuming that people would, you know, practice social distancing and stuff, uh, whatever we're doing is is seemingly working. And you can argue it was too late or whatever; it doesn't matter. But right now, they the, the charts keep going down, which is a very important thing. And uh, the peak apparently is coming here very soon. And the the testing is coming out, and the antibody test, and there's a lot of good things happening right now. It doesn't feel like it, and it's hard to find, but it's there doesn't mean we're out of the woods and it doesn't mean this thing is is hell but there are good things that are happening it's just taking a while for them to get here yeah i just would like maybe we can spend friday's show taking bets on the other uh on the on the next football coach to trip over his own you know what in terms of talking about a global pandemic that they clearly not are equipped to talk about yeah but, and uh, it's just the media aside out, from like, that i just i mean that's that's the best contest i could come up with right now it's just, it's got to be so exhausting to be like Dan Wolken. It's got to be exhausting to be that guy. I mean, just every single day, all you do is pretend to be smarter than everybody else and just shit on every idea trying to get it. It's got to be impossible to be that guy. Like, the, the people that write columns for USA Today now, like, I swear in their job description, it's be as outraged as possible about everything that happens in sports. Like, that's their job description. It's got to be. I, I can't imagine living that way. Like, yes, what Mike Gundy said was stupid. It was. I mean, it was dumb. But one, he's a football coach. It's what he is. And here, I, I find a walk-in tweet from yesterday that really just grinded my gears. And I shouldn't let a clown like this bother me in any way. Let's see. Yeah, it's almost like your entire identity is wrapped up in being a columnist for Gannett. Congratulations. There's your sign. Isn't that what Jeff Foxworthy says? Um, Yeah. Um, I'm almost there. Here here it is. 
He said the framing of optimism slash pessimism is so ridiculous and does a real disservice to what's going on in the world right now. The only choices that matter are between accurate and inaccurate, realistic and unrealistic. And that was a response to Danny Cannell saying, at what point did optimism and hope become bad things? Like, Dan, here's the thing. You don't know what is accurate and what is inaccurate. You don't know if we're going to have college football this year or not. You don't know. I don't know. Nobody knows. So, saying that, I hope it happens, I'm looking forward to it, I believe in our people, is not inaccurate or accurate or realistic or unrealistic because we have no effing clue what it is. So, it is okay in your miserable life to one time also say, man, I hope it happens. I'm looking forward to getting back to normal. It's okay to choose to live life that way, and it doesn't make you stupid or inaccurate or unrealistic. You just don't know. You don't, I don't, nobody does. But since he's a blue check mark sports writer, he's smarter than everyone else. I don't know how you live life that way. It's exhausting. Are those the two most polarizing Dans in sports media? <laughs> Dan Cannell and Danny Wol- or Dan Wolkin and Danny Cannell. Uh, I mean, so. they're, they're you throw both Dan Dockich in there. Something about being named Dan uh, basically just makes people hate you on the internet because Dan Dan Dockich takes his fair uh, share of crap. Although he had a fantastic idea the other day, I doubt it's going to be pulled off. But when they announced the uh, Masters restart in November, he was uh, he tweeted Kirk Herbstreit and said, uh, "How about College Game Day from Augusta?" which would be awesome and hilarious. Don't think it's realistic. Don't think it'll be able to be pulled off, but I think it would be funny. I think it would also be funny to have Nick Faldo be the guest picker because I doubt he knows shit about American football. Dude, that would be so much fun. Like, it would What do you different. think Nick Faldo thinks of Lee Corso? Like them sitting <laughs> next to each other on a college football Saturday. That would be incredible television. Oh, man. You're not kidding. I, see, I would love that. And no, you can't do it the same way. Like you can't let people go watch. You can't because it would disrupt the golf tournament. But how cool would that be? It, just a perfect frame of the situation we're in, right? Because nothing we're going to do this fall is going to feel normal. Like even if we get the all clear in two months, there's still going to be a a weird vibe around football, right? Like people, I have a feeling people are going to be a little bit more reluctant to go to games just because you know we, you've you've developed this habit now of social distancing, and now it's like I'm going to go sit in a sixty thousand seat stadium and I'm going to stay home, even though we've gotten the all clear. I don't feel comfortable. That may happen. It still may be weird, even if we get a, an all clear very soon. So what would be a more perfect encapsulation of the unique 2020 sports fall calendar than having college game day at Augusta National? I think it would be perfect. It's, just, it's, a, it's an image of how bizarre things are right now. And I think it would be a great play on that. Yeah, and that's another – I saw a big hot take in just not sports culture, but just it seemed like the, on the internet the other day was, uh, is the handshake dead for forever? Is the coronavirus killing the handshake? Man, can you imagine? Because, like, honestly, in places like Europe and, play, and like, Italy and stuff where they're, they're very more intimate with their personal greetings with, like, kisses on the cheek or the hug or whatever, you would have to think this is going to change that for a long time, if not forever. Like, what if handshakes are not a thing anymore? What if we all just walk around elbow bumping each other and, like, your son's live and 
Uh, like if I ever have kids, like all of a sudden, like that's that's their norm. Instead of shaking hands, you just slap elbows. Or, I mean, I've thought about stuff like that. Like, how does this permanently change society? Can you imagine if we don't ever shake hands again and we just slap each other's elbows? That would be kind of hilarious. I mean, I, this is not a funny situation, but that would be that would be kind of humorous. That that's just the norm now. Yeah, you're not kidding. And another story, Dan Wetzel. Uh, he's actually just sharing an L.A. Times story from uh, some doctor in Santa Clara that says uh, he doesn't expect any sports games to la- to be here until Thanksgiving, and we'd be lucky to have them then. And that's just a projection, but it's it's a headline, and you know that's going to cause people to react the way that they do. Yeah, I'm basically just numbed to any sort of projection now, unless someone tells me that there's some sort of testing or something like that. I, uh, yeah, I, I've just grown numb to all of that. But man, I would love to like after a round of golf, like, hey, great playing with you for 18 holes. Let's uh, let's jack funny bones here. Like, I, I just like how are things going to change from this? Uh, it'd be kind of fascinating, but. I think that's about all we had for today. I'll remind you one more time. Go see Greg, University Avenue across from Kroger. We're getting a couple of good weather days, I think, this weekend. Uh, throw something on the grill, social distance responsibly, and uh, eat some good meats. And go see Greg, University Avenue across from Kroger. They've got steaks, sausages, custom cuts. He's making a lot of ready-made food to take home and heat up. Uh, if you don't feel like cooking and you have a family to feed, we did the meatloaf here a couple of weekends ago. It was fantastic. All kinds of other stuff. Go see Greg, uh, the best place in Mississippi, without a doubt, to get meat. Uh, I think that's all we got. We'll be back at it. Mailback Friday. Borky and I will be on the radio to, uh, today, uh, Thursday, and Friday. But uh, we'll be back at it on Mailback Friday. Send me your questions. Tweet me your questions. Whatever you have. Oh, no, wait. This is the ma- – no, what am I doing? We didn't do the sports venues. That was the big like thing in the middle that we just completely skipped because uh, sports writers pissed us off. Uh, we can save it. Hmm. Yeah, why don't we save it? That will make the Mailbag Friday thing uh, theme of that. Like, you can do normal Mailbag Friday, but if you want to throw in the five coolest sporting venues slash events you've ever been to, uh, we will uh, definitely make that theme. That's a good idea. I was about to say, I was going through the, the word thing I have up, and I was like, how in the hell did we not – Like, how did I skip over that? Anyway, we'll do that Friday. Why the hell not? All we have is time. So send me your questions, uh, your favorite places sports-wise that you've been, and uh, Borky and I will catch you on Friday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.